We are at present going through the four Gospels, one Gospel per Sunday as we go toward Easter. Last week we looked at Matthew, and what we're doing in each Gospel is we're asking a fundamental question. What activity is this Gospel inviting me to participate in with Jesus? So Matthew invited us to go mountain climbing with Jesus. Mark is going to invite us to brave the wilderness with Jesus. So, we're titling this message, Braving the Wilderness with Jesus. There is a very important difference between belonging and fitting in. There's a very important difference between true belonging and trying to fit in. When we try to fit in, what we do is we change who we are for the comfort of acceptance. When I was little, er, not sure if I should take that as a compliment. When I was, um, littler, when, before, younger, when, um, when I lived in Orange County, before we moved up here, during the summers, you guys might know Raging Waters, the theme park, the water theme park, they would do these summer camps, and you would go for the whole week, and the parents were always excited, right, to dump their kids off for the week, and someone else deal with them, and we did that uh, every summer, and I remember very distinctly this one moment during the summer camp. I used to think I was a baseball player. So I would, this was my daily uniform. I would wear a baseball hat. I would tuck my shirt into my shorts. And I would wear socks that you pull up to just the bottom of your knees. Remember, I'm wearing shorts. And I thought I was so cool until that counselor (laughs) pulled me aside. You know, that counselor that all the kids thought was cool because he dressed cool, he talked cool, he just had this way of carrying himself and like, you look it up for your counselor. He said, hey, dude, can I, can I tell you how to be cool? He said, let's start, let's start with this, okay? Tomorrow, you're going to come and I'm going to see you do this tomorrow. You're going to turn your hat backwards. Try it right now. So I turned my hat backwards. It felt weird, but I tried it. Soon, Ken Griffey Jr. would come around and wear his hat backwards, and then all the kids thought it was cool. So anyways, that was before then, though. Turn my hat backwards. It's like, you're going to untuck your shirt. Are you sure? My dad tells me I should. Yeah, untuck it. Okay, so I untucked it. I'm like, this feels weird. Then he said, your socks. They need to go all the way down. All the way down, dude, to your ankles. So I pushed them down. I'm like, this feels weird. I'm like, I'm not doing this tomorrow. So I didn't. The next day, I go dressed like me. Full-on baseball kid and all. Yet, as soon as I saw the counselor, I real quick turned the hat, pulled out the shirt, pushed the socks down, and said, hey, man, am I cool? He said, good job. And right then, I felt something. I felt like, hey, I'm accepted by this camp counselor. Yet, I didn't actually belong with him. Because he didn't accept, or at least in a very small way, he didn't really accept who I was. He said, this is the image I must fit. And so I, wanting to please, wanting to be accepted, wanting to fit in, I was willing to change who I was around this person to get that acceptance. That's called fitting in. You're a square peg, there's a round hole, so you're going to do everything you can to be round enough to fit into that hole. 
You're changing who you are in exchange for the comfort of fitting in. But that is not true belonging. True belonging is those that welcome and embrace us for who we are, not for who they want us to be. Some of us are really good at fitting in. We know how to play the game. We know how to talk the talk. We know how to change our behavior for these people. But some of us are brave enough to reject fitting in. And when we do so, you are that person who knows how to brave the wilderness. The wilderness is that place where you don't actually belong, you don't actually fit in or belong to this side or that side. You got a town here, a town there, and in between is wilderness. Nobody wants to be there. You gotta be left or you gotta be right. You gotta be conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat or believe this doctrine or believe that doctrine or be pre-trib or post-trib. The wilderness is the place where people say, I am not going to change who I am to fit in. I am going to stay true and stand true to what God has given me, even if it means I'm rejected, I'm ostracized, or I'm alone. I'm going to brave that place. Jesus braves the wilderness better than anybody we've ever seen. And Mark wants us to see the courage of the Son of God. So, will you go there with me? Mark, chapter 1. Notice how Mark begins. He does not begin like the other gospel writers with where he came from. Mark launches right into a specific setting. 1-1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John is an odd character. Look how he dresses in verse 6. John was clothed with camel's hair. Pretty sure that didn't fit fashion A or fashion B. And wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Not Galilee, (laughs) not Galilee, not Jerusalem, wilderness. He doesn't fit in with either place. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right. So then Jesus comes on the scene right now in verse nine. Where does Jesus first appear in this gospel? Not in the powerhouse of Jerusalem, being followed by the rabbis and the scholars of the Bible of the day. Not up in Galilee, living a nice cush life where everybody likes the popular kid at school. Jesus shows up immediately in verse 9 in the wilderness. So in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. 
doesn't stop there. In 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he was tempted 40 days by Satan. And he was with, (laughs) because it gets better, with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. This is how Mark introduces us to Jesus. He appears in the wilderness, baptized by a crazy guy who doesn't really belong with the religious leaders who have their orthodox code, or with the common people who have their common jobs. John is eating weird food on a a weird fashion, and he's preaching a message that isn't exactly popular, but it's intriguing people. You have to leave your places of comfort, your places of established polarizations, to come to hear this person in the wilderness. And Jesus shows up in this gospel there, our first scene of him. And then he's baptized in Jesus goes on his own wilderness adventure where he now has to find out what am I here to do? He's not going to be trained by the gurus in Jerusalem. I'm just going to be better than all them. He's not going to be trained in the comforts of domestic lifestyles in Galilee. He's going to brave the wilderness. He's going to become the authentic son of God. He's going to show us what that looks like. So, Jesus braves the wilderness. What does that mean? It means he doesn't belong with anyone. Because he's not willing to change who he is to fit in with the conventional norms of culture. Jesus is God. He has to be true to the calling that his father had given him. So he leaves the wilderness and he begins his journey. And what we're going to see in Mark's gospel is that Jesus is a misfit Nowhere does he fit in. And specifically in Mark's gospel, it seems that nobody understands Jesus. Question after question. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? What is he doing? He's doing it all wrong. He doesn't belong with us. He doesn't belong with us. Even to the point that the disciples themselves have not one single heroic moment in Mark's gospel. Not one kind word can even be stretched to apply to them. In fact, it gets so bad for them that John, excuse me, that Mark basically has Jesus saying, you guys are closer to the Pharisees than you are to me. <laughs> like we think the disciples were great people that kind of messed up a lot, but were trying. Mark was more like, yeah, they were far off the path. It took them a while to get on it. Jesus didn't even fit in with his followers. So let's look at a few of these. The first big party he failed to fit in with are the religious leaders. The religious leaders first in Galilee. So look with me at chapter 2. Chapter 2, we begin a series of episodes back to back where Jesus and the religious leaders don't, well, he doesn't fit in with their idea of what a good Messiah should be. So, in chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus returns to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, those are the people that study the Bible for a living, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? 
he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, this guy cannot be legit because legitimate leaders in Israel do not blaspheme God. Jesus does not fit in their scheme. Then we go down to verse 13. And Jesus went out again beside the sea. And this is where he calls Levi, who becomes Matthew. He says, follow me. And verse 15. And as he reclined at table in, this is Levi, Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, again, your Bible scholar people, they should know everything. When they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said... He doesn't fit in. This is not how rabbis and messiahs do things in this country. You don't sit with tax collectors and sinners. So they ask, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus has an answer for them. Then in verse 18, episode 3, Now when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, uh, they were fasting, and people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Come on, you guys aren't fitting in with the program. You're doing things differently. Episode number four in chapter 20 or verse 23. One is Sabbath. Now, backstory here. Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work. You're supposed to just rest. Well, does Jesus fit in? One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. When the Pharisees, uh, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus, you don't belong with our crowd. And finally, the last episode, chapter 3, verse 1. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, they don't say anything, but watch what they're doing. They're trying to make him not fit in. Verse 2. And when they watched Jesus, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And of course, Jesus does heal him, so he doesn't fit in. Jesus is doing everything the wrong way. And it takes courage to do so because everything he does, even when it's making life better and it's helping people, he is being accused of doing it wrong. You don't fit in here. We are against you because you will not fit in with our mold. And so Jesus, we see him braving the wilderness as he's in Galilee healing people. And the religious leaders say, you don't fit in here. You don't belong. Well, how about his friends and his family? Does it get any better with people close to him? No. I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 20, verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. And while you find it, because it's just right there on your page, um, you have to remember what's happening. Jesus is healing people. And his family's looking at this and saying, wow, could you imagine if we set up a healing home and we had people coming to us? Just a small fee, you know, kind of keep the electricity on. The power we would gain, the influence we would have in society. But Jesus isn't doing that. Do you know what he's doing instead? He's going from town to town to town. He's moving around. Jesus, this is not how you gain power. 
You need to stay here and heal people in this town. And people start coming to our town. They'll start coming to our house. They'll start coming to us. And we can be like brokers and get some money out of this. No, Jesus like, I'm not doing that. He's moving around. So his family comes to him in 3 verse 20. Uh, then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Why doesn't he just stay here where all the people are coming? Yet he keeps going and leaving. He's out of his mind. We could be powerful and wealthy if he would just sit down and start a foundation. And we could put it in the name of Yahweh and it will be blessed. You could easily justify that. But Jesus says, you know, I'm not here to do it the way you do it. I'm doing it the way God's called me to do it. So his family thinks he's crazy, not to mention his hometown and his friends in chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown. Everyone should be applauding him a hero, right? And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? <laughs> he doesn't match. I helped Mary change his diapers. There's no way this guy is this guy. What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And then, <laughs> is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Were not his sisters here with us? Did we not see him graduate from our schools and hang out at our grocery market and get gas at the same pump that I get gas? Is he not just a common folk like us? How dare him be better than us is the way they're thinking. You don't fit in here. You're too big for us. And so not even his hometown, friends and family saying that you don't belong here. You don't fit in. Flash forward to the religious leaders again in chapter 11. This is when Jesus is in Jerusalem. Chapter 11, verse 27. They never let up on him. So he didn't belong in Galilee. He doesn't belong in Jerusalem. 11.27, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders, so every important religious person in Jerusalem comes up to Jesus, and they said to him, now he just cleansed the temple, right? Kicked out the money changers. And so they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And then they ask another question in chapter 12, verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. <laughs> so far you're like, yeah, we've noticed. <laughs> For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Here is the stab. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Okay. So Jesus is now like officially known as this person who does not come down on this side or that side. He's his own unique person. 
He's doing things differently. He's braving the wilderness. And so they want to try to trap him. Like, dude, you got to come down on pro-Rome or anti-Rome, pro-taxes or anti-taxes, pro-Trump or anti-Trump. You got to come down here. So they try to get him in this closed question, either this or that. And Jesus will not have it. He continues to be in the wilderness as he responds to them with a question. Show me a coin whose image is on it. That's his answer. What side is he on? We still don't know. And then in verse 18, the Sadducees come, another branch of the religious leaders, and they start giving this elaborate situation about a man who has a wife who dies. Uh, No, a wife who has... A brother who dies, I'm sorry, I'll start over. A wife whose husband dies. She then has to marry the dead guy's brother, because it's the Levitical law to keep the name going. So she marries the brother. The brother dies. She marries the other brother. The other brother dies. And this happens seven times. My question to them would be, well, what's she cooking? Um, <laughs> they, though, continue with this hilarious situation and say in verse 23, So Jesus... In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Hmm. Now Jesus could have launched into this whole like discussion about theology and like let's define the resurrection and done this whole thing about like, and see, so now I'm on this side of things. He doesn't do that though. He just says, well, you guys don't read your Bibles carefully enough. And he answers them um, in a very kind of a way that doesn't really answer it for us either. Like, wait, what? What do you mean we're going to be like angels and not Mary? I need more elaboration there. Anyways, so you see Jesus kind of, by the time he gets to Jerusalem, they want to push him one way. Like, whose side are you on? We need to figure you out. We need a label to put on you. Are you a heretic or are you a hero? Are you a prophet or are you a phony? And they can't do it because Jesus continues to brave that courageous area where no one understands him. And it eventually gets him killed. The climax of this wilderness braving by Jesus is when nobody defends him and they put him on a cross. Even the disciples bail on him, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that all of the disciples fled him. Um, In chapter 14, verse 43, this is where Judas comes and betrays him. That's a good start. One of the twelve betrays him. Judas didn't understand Jesus. To Judas, Jesus didn't fit in with what the Messiah should be. Jesus wasn't leading a revolt against Rome fast enough. He wasn't a political enough figure. He wasn't a revolutionary enough figure. So Judas betrays him. Some people think Judas did this to kind of get Jesus to do what Judas thought he would do. Like, well, if the authorities come, then Jesus will launch the attack. Judas doesn't understand him. Jesus doesn't fit into his worldview. And then Judas betrays him. The guards come and you look at verse 50. And they all left him and fled. The disciples bail. So does Peter. Skip down to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, verse 67. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And when he went out the gateway, the rooster crowed. 
And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But Peter again denied it. And then he's asked again in verse 71, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter's not willing to go with Jesus into that fuzzy middle wilderness ground where he's misunderstood and doesn't fit in with anyone. Peter is concerned with what a servant girl thinks of him and wants to fit in with the people around that bonfire. Peter wants to stay warm and cozy. He does not want to go into the wilderness with Jesus. Jesus had to choose comfort. Uh, nope. Jesus had to choose courage over comfort. Over and over. Peter had a chance, and he chose comfort. I wonder how many times we do the same. How many times when there is something to stand for, we say, yeah, but every nobody's really standing for this. So I'm just going to, yeah, I'm, I'm over here with where everyone else. It feels comfortable to have a party to belong to. And Jesus, though, would continually say, I'm just going to go alone if I have to. I'm going to go alone. Courage over comfort. He had opportunities to bail on God's plan. Uh, if you're tired of turning, I'm, I'm going to turn again. Chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Um, watch this one. Eight twenty-seven. When Jesus went on with his disciples, 8.27, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So people have been trying to label him, right? Uh, they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. They maybe mumbled, and some say a heretic. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, this Christ that Peter called Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. In other words, this is not a parable. All 12 disciples should have known exactly what he's saying. So this really underscores Peter's mistake here. He said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No, Jesus, my Messiah, my Savior, my Lord, my Christ, my Son of God does not die like that in the end. He does not get rejected by everybody. He comes as a hero. Everybody worships him. Everybody follows him. We take care of all of our problems, our political problems, our social problems, our economic problems. We get rid of the Romans. We get rid of Caesar. We get rid of Herod. And we put you on the throne and the Jews get to take over the world as the (laughs) prophets were saying will happen one day. We're going to do this now, Jesus. Jesus hears Peter say this and he has the choice as he does perhaps every day of his life. Am I going to choose courage and continue to plow forward in the vision God's given me? Or am I going to fall back into comfort and fit in with what everyone's telling me I should be? Jesus' right-hand guy, Peter, is now turning on him and saying, you are mistaken, Jesus. You've got the wrong idea. And what does Jesus say? He chooses courage. But turning and seeing his disciples, 33. 33. 
he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. He chooses courage. And then there's one more huge moment when he chooses courage over comfort. If you look in Mark 14, you know it very well. Mark 14, 14, 32. After the Last Supper, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. The cross that's coming up, he, he is scared to death. And in 36, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I'm scared. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows the fear he has. The wilderness isn't always a fun place. Yet he chooses He chooses courage over comfort. He is at a place where everything within him wants to say, you know what, I've done enough. I've helped a lot of people. I've done some good things. I perhaps have enough of a legacy. Let's just call it a night. I'll go retire in Galilee and harvest olives. We'll make an olive oil company called Jesus or something. Um, But instead, he recognizes the temptation And he asks God for the courage to go forward. How do we choose courage over comfort in these contexts and situations? How do we do that? And and, and what if, what if Jesus chose comfort instead of courage? What would we have missed? And now think, what does the world miss every time we choose comfort over courage? So how does Jesus have the strength, the bravery, the heroism, the courage to continue into the depth of the wilderness, even when he is completely alone? As he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? completely alone. I suggest this is how he does it. Turn a few more times, okay? Hold your place here, because we're going to come back to 15, so you're going to want to be close, but we're also going to go to verse 1 of chapter 1. This is worth seeing. 1 verse 1. How does Mark start his gospel? With a thesis statement, an opening statement about what he wants to defend through the message. So, he says, the beginning of the gospel. This is, in other words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ and 
the Son of God. So Mark says two things about Jesus right off the bat. He is the Christ, and he is the Son of God. Now, in chapter 8, in the middle of the gospel, what does Peter say about Jesus? We just read it, right? Peter says, and this is in 829, you are the Christ. Okay. Now in chapter 15, verse 39. So 1 verse 1 said, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Peter confesses in the middle of the gospel, you are the Christ. Now at the end of the gospel, a Roman soldier says this. And when the centurion, this is 1539, who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Mark opens the gospel saying he's the Christ, he's the son of God. He then has two significant characters repeat that in the middle and the end of the gospel. What is my point? Jesus had an identity. He had an identity that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that identity is confirmed throughout the gospel as he chooses courage over comfort, as he braves the wilderness, as he chooses not to fit in and settle in with comfort on this established sides of society. So we're going to do a little more turning one more time. I think one more time. Who knows? Um, so we're, it's worth seeing. This is, this is where we, this is where we hit the, the rubber. What's it called? The rubber hits the road, right? The shoe hits the ground. I don't know. Um, so back in chapter one, Jesus has these moments where this identity is not just declared by Mark, but it's declared by God to Jesus. So in one verse 11, there it is. What's happening? I accidentally twisted it. It's my fault. Sorry, William. Um, he's being baptized. And now look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Okay, I know this is Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that God has adopted us as his children. I can choose courage over comfort when I can wrap my mind around that sentence being declared to me. You are God's daughter. You are God's son. And he is well pleased with you. If that statement is true, I can go into any wilderness. So what does he do? Next verse, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. You see the key? He can choose courage over comfort because he knows his identity. I am the son, well-beloved of God. This happens one more time. Um, You know this already from when we were in Matthew, when we were mountain climbing with Jesus. It's on a mountain. It's in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse... Five. Nine five, Peter sees Jesus glorified. He sees a 
Elijah and Moses. Remember, they're also mountain climbers with him. And he says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. (laughs) They were terrified. Good rule of thumb. You don't know what to say, just don't say anything. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. I wonder if we don't hear this enough. This is my beloved child. Whether you sinned this week really badly, whether you blasphemed, or whether you are at your third church service of the week, congratulations. I don't care where you are on that spectrum. God is speaking these words to all of his creatures. Are we listening? are we blabbing about what we want to do for him? Sometimes our efforts to do something from, let me make three tabernacles for you guys, is just an effort to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And God is calling us to something unique. That Christianity is meant to stand in the midst of the world, not blending in with this crowd or with that crowd or doing what these people want us to do or fitting in with these powerful people, but to be their own people, a wilderness people who stand as a light in the world. But we lack courage or we get afraid or we continually choose comfort because we are not listening to God's value. We're not understanding the identity he's calling us into. Jesus could choose courage and brave the wilderness because he knew who he was. If we're listening to others to find out who we are, you're going to keep shape-shifting over and over and over You're not even going to know who you are. You're going to be simply whoever you're around and whatever the context is. You're going to be a different person in each situation. That's a blob of water. Play-Doh. God has called us something and he wants us to realize that. So, what what is Mark calling us to? It's calling us to brave the wilderness. How do we brave the wilderness? We brave the wilderness by realizing we don't have to fit in with this person or that person or this thing or that thing or that party or that party because we already belong to God. We already belong to God. So have we understood our belonging with him, that he accepts us, embraces us, and welcomes us as we are because of his forgiveness for us. Have we realized that? And when you do, if you do, if we choose to stop fitting in here and there and choose rather to belong to God, you will be so free that even the wilderness will not terrify you too badly. You, when you belong to God, you can do what I'm going to call live wild. You can live wild every day. That's what Christianity needs is a little dose of how do we live wild? We're so domesticated, aren't we? People say, oh, don't talk about that. And so, okay, sorry, I'll be quiet. (laughs) Or, oh, you guys are just so like, you live too differently. Get with the times. We've moved on from those morals. Oh, okay. Well, we'll practice it over here. Like, I'm not at all advocating that we be like 
dominating people and telling them how to live like us like that's not at all what i'm saying but why are we so domesticated why why is our light just people are basically saying oh yeah they're just like another religion oh yeah they just believe these things like yeah i kind of like that too why why does most of america call themselves a christian when it's clear that they're not living in the wilderness like jesus would uh why because we don't live wild live wild is an acronym w-i-l-d this is how to live wild w Believe you are worthy of love and belonging. Believe that you are worthy of love and belonging with God. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to become. There's nothing. God sees you as worthy. That's why Jesus came to say, people, I'm serious about this. I'm dead serious about this i love you you are worthy i identity know your identity as we've already covered so we won't take much time on that but jesus heard his identity mark confirms his identity people are saying it jesus is hearing it from the father we must do the same we must know and own our identity that we too are children of god There's no wilderness that can strip your identity. So we are worthy. We have an identity. L, choose love. Please choose love over hatred. Choose love over hatred. Over and over and over, when we're sort of, it's it's shown that we don't belong, we, we have a tendency in our human nature to hate the people that reject us. And it takes the love of God to teach us to love these people. Or you can't understand how somebody voted or how somebody believes that or how somebody can say they're a Christian and have that kind of lifestyle. You you may not understand. It is not our calling to show any kind of hostility, aggression, hatred, but to love. Now, choosing love means, yes, leaning into these people. That's not always what we want to do. We want to be like, you are part of that party? Well, stay over there then. We don't want to lean in to the other side, do we? It also means listening Love means listening. It means I'm not going to tell you what you should think. I want to hear what you think. So we are worthy. We have an identity. We must choose love over hatred. And D, refuse a duel. I know we're talking about the wilderness, but this is not the Wild West. We are not to be dueling everybody we come across. Yet, 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 yet. All across our country, whether it's in the church or in Washington, we are pulling pistols on each other faster than we can keep up with the news. No, I'm not talking about school shootings. That's bad, too. I'm talking about we are dueling with people and ideologies. You are these people and you're these. And we cannot talk across the aisle politically. And Christians themselves are getting really horrible toward one another. There are different paradigms for following Jesus. And we often want to just duel with these people well i'll tell you why we're right calvary chapel's always been right well maybe it has but is that the way you want to talk about it dueling with people we're so quick to duel with people just go on facebook it is all over if you start looking for it people picking fights people showing things to say i belong with this group this is my identity and has nothing to do with jesus we are faster to associate ourselves with a firmly established party that many people belong to or belief or ideology than we are to say, you know what? 
I am sort of like in between these things, yet nobody likes to say that because you have very few followers in that area. And both sides want to shoot at you when that's the case. Live wild. Believe you are worthy of love and belonging. Understand your identity as a child of God. Choose love over hate and refuse to duel. So, that's how you brave the wilderness. And the only way the church can go forward is if we stop demanding people choose this side or that side. I have one more verse for you, and I promise we're done. Look at chapter 8, verse 38. Uh, it's nine, actually, nine thirty-eight. Nine thirty-eight. John, the disciple, said to Jesus, "Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. What did John want? He wanted five hundred likes on his Facebook post." He wanted 70 retweets. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For the one who is not against us is for us. For the one who is not against us is for us. Did you hear that? How do we say that? If you are not for us, you're against us. That's not what Jesus said. He said, the one who is not against us is for us. Do you hear how much more inclusive that is? If we say, if you're not for us, you're against us, we are dueling the world. We're drawing a line and saying, you've got to be here and everybody else is over there. You've just created two parties. There is no one in between. There's no wilderness. You've chosen comfort because you have your gang extremely devoted to one side over the other. Jesus does not play that game. And he says, if they are not working against us, if they do not try to stop us, then I want you to see everybody as for you, as on your side. That group just got a lot bigger. And it includes people you don't agree with. If they're not working against you. Man, I see so many things. Like, let's not talk about politics. Let's just talk about the church. I see so many things on Facebook. I mean, that's why I, I've like totally on on the Facebook fast and like only every now and then. Um, because I'm so tired of seeing people slander other Christians because they said this or they believe that or they endorse this person or they read that book or they reviewed this and said it's a good book and they said the word purgatory or something like, okay. I get it. You don't agree with them. But you are there saying, well, they're not for me, so they're against. No, Jesus said, if they're not against you, they're for. They're part of the group. These people that we don't agree 100% with are with us. They're part of us. But unfortunately, the Christian who's willing to brave the wilderness and include these people and say, I'm a brother with them too. I'm a sister with them too. They get shot by the people that want everybody in their camp. And so then it literally takes courage and bravery for us to go forward and say, you know what? God is bigger 
than the narrowness that we've made. And when people are willing to walk into that wilderness of a big God that you can't contain in your hand, that you can't civilize and put laws on, then people shoot at you and crucify you. I'm calling for people who are willing to be brave in the wilderness with Jesus. And I believe we will see unity and I believe we'll see healing and I believe we'll see people acting civilized and loving one another and treating each other like human beings regardless of their views or stances or parties or sections or denominations. Because Jesus would be very sad to see the way we exclude and divide and label. So are you willing to brave the wilderness? Mark is inviting us And keep reading through it if you need to, to see the courage of Jesus in every situation to refuse to come down onto a label that people can say, ah, welcome to our club. Jesus was about the Father. That's it. So we're going to take communion. The worship team's coming up, and let's go ahead and close our eyes. And maybe tonight you're just feeling that... um, Well, you don't like what I'm saying. (laughs) In a way, I'm kind of having to choose courage tonight because it's so easy to just choose a side and rant and rave and attack the other side and people flock to that. People buy that stuff up. But I don't believe that that's the way of Jesus. And so... I'm sorry, but not sorry. And I'm asking us to reflect and real to, to notice if there's any feelings that are demonstrating our unwillingness to be in the wilderness. Because too often we are choosing who we are based on who we ally ourselves with. You are not a party. You are not a denomination. You are not a set of doctrines, a creed, a belief system. You are not a fashion statement. You are not a car club. You are not even a citizen of this country or that. I mean, you are, I know that. But you belong to God. That is the most important truth about you.